It is a blessing to be here this morning. I have been here now, I believe, several times. In fact, I'm losing count. So that's a good thing, I hope. But it is good to be here. Uh, I always enjoy worshiping with you, sharing the Word of God, and knowing that you are faithful people of God. In the bulletin, it has me listed as director of the Calvin Prison Initiative, and that's true. That's about half my time at Calvin College, and the other half of my time, I'm a professor in the Department of Congregational and Ministry Studies. And in that role, oh, not that long ago, I had quite an experience. There's a group of people, you should have seen them, they looked bad, they really did. Some of them looked terrible. Some dragged their feet when they walked, their faces looked lifeless, some could barely hold their heads up. Many just sat down, slouched, and closed their eyes. It was a pitiful sight. I mean, just just pitiful. And of course, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Calvin College students, just a few weeks ago, right before final exams. (laughs) And it's the same every year. Every semester, a new semester begins... Students have lots of energy. They're filled with hope. They're having fun. But after nearly three months, every semester, and several rounds of papers and exams and labs and performances, Calvin professors turn these students into shells of their former selves. But like a lighthouse in the midst of a storm, summer break signals that safety is near. Not long now. Hang in there in no time. Somebody else will do your laundry. There will be a vehicle full of gas already on standby when you get home. Money will magically show up. And they'll be able to sleep till noon, just like old times. And once again, all is well. Several years ago, I was teaching at a university on the East Coast, just outside of Philadelphia. One fall semester, I was teaching a course in Christian ethics. And we were right before the final exam period. And as this final class was meeting and students were coming in, there were a group of students getting seated in front of me, and we were waiting to start. And we were joking around, having some good banter. And one of the students asked me, he goes, so what would it take for you to give someone an A. Can you be bought? And I jokingly said, well, if the price is right, of course I can be bought. And we had our final class, and off we went. That evening, about 12 midnight, I got an email from a student saying, now, I don't know if you were joking or not, but I'm willing to pay for an A on this final exam, and I can give you $286. (laughs) Now, I have to admit, I didn't know whether I should be offended at him trying to bribe me or thinking that it was only worth $286. Of course, I said, no, we can't do that, but I would like to meet before the final exam. And so we did. And we met out in the hallway... And this student began to tell me how he's had an awful semester. 
and that he's on many scholarships, and if he doesn't keep a certain GPA, he'll lose his scholarships, and he might have to leave the university. And then he began to cry. He had had enough. The, the semester wore him down. That story reminds me of the letter to the Hebrews. While we don't know a lot about the author who wrote this, we don't know a lot about the community. We know some things. It's often referred to as a letter to the Hebrews, but that's not really quite right. The author early on in this writing tells us that he's a pastor. He's not writing a normal letter. He is writing a sermon. And as a sermon, Hebrews is pastoral. This preacher is reaching out to his congregation. He knows their needs, and he wants to address them in the name of the Lord. This provides some insight, then, into this congregation. The congregation is exhausted. The preacher in chapter 12 acknowledges that the people have drooping hands and weak knees. Have you ever had drooping hands and weak knees? Members of this particular church to whom the preacher is addressing, they were discouraged, spiritually drained. They were losing faith. As Tom Long puts it, they are tired. Tired of serving the world, tired of worship, tired of Christian education, tired of being peculiar and being whispered about in society, tired of the spiritual struggle, tired of trying to keep their prayer life going, tired even of Jesus. When you're tired, it's easy to get discouraged. And when you're discouraged, it's easy to become desperate, looking for something, anything, to get you through. So in chapter 1 of Hebrews, we find the preacher having to make a case of why the Son of God is better than angels. Angels. Why? Why angels? But if you think about it, it's obvious, really. It's hard to worship a crucified Lord, week after week, let alone having to convince others to do the same. Come, worship Jesus. He was despised, abandoned, left for dead, and he calls us to be the same. Oh, but he's resurrected now, even though he does bear quite a few unsightly scars. What kind of good news is this? Whereas angels, angels, nothing unsightly here, nothing but light and all that shines. Angels reside in high places, not tombs. Their power is obvious, not hidden. They command respect, not derision. Now that's good news, isn't it? Congregations get tired. It's hard to stay faithful when attendance numbers keep slipping and bills keep coming. 
when prayer often seems like you're just whistling in the wind, when Bible study raises more questions than answers, when Sunday school and youth group don't seem to keep our kids in church, and when this and, and, and one that pile up more than the amens, congregations get tired, desperate even, and they often turn to angels. You know, it's the music. If we just had better music, they'd come. They'd come. If the preaching was, you know, more relevant, more engaging, we'd be in better shape. If only we had a youth pastor who was on the ball, we'd keep them. We would. It's understandable. Desperate times call for desperate measures. It's hard to blame folks for that. Angels are always more attractive than crucifixion. They, they just are. And so the preacher, in the sermon to the Hebrews, he doesn't begin by blaming the con- congregation. He's not wagging his finger at them in judgment. But nor is he giving them false hope. This preacher loves his congregation. He's a pastor's pastor. He gives his congregation the truth. The sun is the radiance of glory, he declares in chapter 1. And the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful hand. Do not let yourselves drift away from the faith, he urges in chapter 2. Hold fast to the Christian confession, he pleads in chapter 6. God has not forgotten about you, he reminds them in chapter 6. And then the preacher assembles a parade like no other, a parade of faith. Have faith like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, Moses himself. The people who passed through the Red Sea, the people who saw the walls of Jericho crumble, the prostitute Rahab, and then almost with time running out, says the preacher, we just got to get to Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, the prophets, women who were given their children back, those who were tortured for their faith, others who were put to death, but there's more, so many more. The world wasn't worthy of them, the preacher declares. God had something better for them. Therefore, therefore, chapter 12, verse 1. Now we've got to pause here a minute. This is no ordinary therefore. This isn't, well, in conclusion now, let me wrap this thing up. Now I'll, I'll make sense of it all. I'll convince you by the strength of my argument. This, therefore, is powerful like no other. On this, therefore, the preacher asks his congregation to stand, to live, and to die. This, therefore, is the foundation on which God raised up his people throughout history. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Oh, what to do. What to do about drooping hands and weak knees. Jesus Christ. What to do about times of trial and tribulation, discouragement and fear, weakness and apathy. Jesus Christ. He sustained them all, says this preacher. Abraham and Sarah, Joseph, Rahab, all of them. They didn't know it, but Jesus did it. Jesus is better than anything that is worn out and and better than anything we can imagine. That's the refrain for the preacher throughout Hebrews. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus introduces a better hope, a better covenant, better promises, better sacrifice. And all of this, says the preacher, allows us to possess an inheritance from God himself that is better. And so, with our faithful ancestors that great cloud of witnesses. They stand as witnesses to God's promises and his faithfulness. They stand as witnesses to Jesus himself. They remind us. They encourage us. They hold us up. They say the life of faith is always better. So don't give up. They ran their race and now they are cheering us on waiting for us at the finish line. There's a church. I want to tell you about a church out in San Francisco. It's an Episcopalian church. And as Episcopalian churches go, it has the rich tradition and and the high liturgy. And the church has an interesting sanctuary. It's an ancient design, actually. It, It kind of looks like a figure eight lying down. The sanctuary is circular on one side and circular on another, like a figure eight. And in each section, the ceiling is domed. So it's kind of almost like a bowl or a saucer put upside down. When the congregation meets on Sunday mornings, they enter a door and they move around the curved walls. And they circle around the Eucharistic table, the Lord's Supper's table, every Sunday. And as they form around this table and they worship and sing songs much like we're doing and they pray, and they get ready for the Lord's Supper, the passing of the bread and the cup, they're asked to notice the figures on the wall and ceiling around them. And painted on the walls around them, are these colorful, vibrant saints. Images of people and figures from the Bible, images from church history, images of struggle and success and sadness and joy, they're all there, and they even have images of people that are meaningful to that congregation, they're saints. And what's really just delightful about this experience 
They're painted in vibrant colors, but have you ever seen textbooks, history textbooks, where they show images of the saints, and the saints are very rigid and straight, and they look a little half-dead? Not these images. These saints are alive. They're, they're in movement. Every saint has arms out and, and legs out and feet, and it looks like they're running. Because they are. This congregation in San Francisco gathers every Sunday around the Lord's table, and they're reminded that they do not run alone. They run with the great cloud of witnesses. And that cloud is cheering them on and encouraging them and saying, not long now, we're waiting for you too. Can you imagine if you did that every Sunday? You couldn't help but feel alive. You couldn't help but know the future is taken care of. You couldn't help but know God kept his promises to each one of those faithful saints. So the message of Hebrews is this. There's an unbroken cord of faithfulness that extends from the beginning of history to the great heavenly city that awaits us. Traveling through history from one congregation to another and finding its place today in our hands. But... If the unbroken cord is broken, all hands go slack. Or if one drops the baton during the race, all stumble. The call to faithfulness remains tied to the past and runs towards the future. I don't know if you're tired today, personally, or as a congregation. But if you are, catch your breath. Rest in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Take stock of those around you, God's people. They're here for you. Know that there are saints who have gone before you and are cheering you on. Take hold of the cord of faith and hang on. Allow those in front of you to pull you forward. And then when the time is right, you pull those behind you. And then recall the preacher's words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and let us run with perseverance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.